I'd say the two biggest things when it comes to interactive and why it's beneficial is you have the ability to you know add in videos and audio and basically embed other content within your interactive experience. And then also it gives you the option to have analytics and performance metrics that you can use to fuel your future marketing plan. The B2B Marketing Exchange was created with one goal in mind, to help B2B practitioners across marketing and sales be better at their jobs. Now we're bringing the insights from the stage to your ears. These are the tips and tools you need to succeed. This is the B2B Marketing Exchange Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the B2BMX Podcast. I'm Claudia Tarico, your host, and of course, I have my lovely co-host, Kelly, with me today. Kelly, say hello. Hello, everyone. Awesome. All right. So we actually have a whole party for today's episode. Our friends from Content for Demand are here with us today to talk about all things interactive content and why it's table stakes in today's B2B content marketing world. Personally, I can talk content all day. It's one of my favorite topics in B2B marketing. So I'm really, really excited for our chat. Today, we have Lisa Ladle-Wallace, Holly Celeste Fisk, and Savannah Hale of Content for Demand, aka the C4D team. We love acronyms here in in B2B and at DGR, so C4D it is. Ladies, hello. Thank you so much for joining us today. Great to be here. Thank you for having us. Hello. (laughs) It's so great to hear you all. Before we begin, you know, instead of me shelling out these huge introductions, I'd love us to get to know each other a little better. So I'd love to have each of you kind of give us a peek into C4D as a whole and what you do. So Holly, let's start with you. Give us a little background on Content for Demand and then tell us a little bit about what you do there. Thank you, Claudia. We are Content for Demand. We are a boutique B2B content creation and strategy agency and as I said, we work exclusively with B2B. We are a sister company to Demand Gen Report, and we work with the mid-level to Fortune 500 level enterprise companies on B2B content, and we do a lot of interactive content. So that's what we wanted to focus on today. Awesome. So what is exactly your role at Content for Demand? How do you, how do you work with all of these fabulous companies? I'm the director of marketing, so I do all of our marketing. I feel what our clients are going through because all of the things they do, I'm doing for us. Savannah and Lisa can speak more to how we work with clients. Yeah, I love that. Lisa, how about you? Tell us a little bit about yourself. Hey, Claudia. I'm Lisa Wallace, otherwise known as Lisa Ladle Wallace, and I've had the pleasure of working at Content from Demand about seven years now. I work on the business side of the house, overseeing our sales as well as all all things business for content for demand. So I have the pleasure of working with clients on a more consultative basis and helping them to create amazing content strategy programs as well as content creation. So that's pretty much what I do. And I do it from a lovely office down in San Augustine, Florida which is awesome. We're a totally remote agency. I love that. I love that. And Florida sounds lovely because in New Jersey right now, it's April and it's freezing. So you are one lucky lady. Savannah, how about you? I know how you feel, Claudia. I'm in West Virginia and it is also freezing. My name is Savannah Heil. I am the Senior Director of Digital Design here at Content for Demand. I work closely with Holly on a lot of internal marketing, but I also have a uh, portfolio 
of my own clients and I'm basically the design lead for them, but I'm also the point person on our agency for all things digital and interactive. Very, very cool. So obviously everyone, we are in great hands to talk about all things interactive content today. But before we dive into that nitty gritty stuff, I'd love to kind of set the stage a little bit. So first question, what is interactive content? I can take that. So it's really just a broad term for any digital content that encourages user participation. So the users can click through and they can interact with the content that is most relevant to them or that interests them. Some obvious examples could be quizzes, calculators, landing pages, but pretty much any content can be made interactive. So considering, like you said, all content can be made interactive, could you kind of or one of you guys just go a little deeper into that for me. Just how do you make, you know, a static white paper interactive? How does that work? So Savannah, I can start on that and then I'll probably hand it back to you since you actually do the magic. So typically what we do is work with clients to look at an existing static asset, if there is one existing, and reimagine it as an interactive experience. So what that really means is taking that flat, often copy-heavy asset and creating an immersive, interactive, self-journeying experience. So it often will incorporate other content for multiple CTAs, links, etc., potentially incorporating some video and other materials just to create, again, this wonderful self-journeying experience. So Savannah, I don't know if you want to then dive in a little bit more into how you actually make this happen. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a ton of benefits that come to creating interactive content. I mean, the obvious reasons are that it's, you know, a visual and engaging way to tell your story, but you can also tailor experiences for like different roles or pain points or goals that your clients have. And it gives the user the power to control how much or how little info they want to consume. It helps break up big walls of text and with elements like carousels, flip tiles, animations, pop-ups, you name it, you can do it. And I'd say the two biggest things when it comes to interactive and why it's beneficial is you have the ability to, you know, add in videos and audio and basically embed other content within your interactive experience. And then also it gives you the option to have analytics and performance metrics that you can use to fuel your future marketing plan. I would just chime in there too. One big thing that we like to recommend is that you don't do all of those bells and whistles just for the sake of using them. We use them really strategically so that you're kind of helping direct that self journey that they're taking through the content and have them going where you would like them to go. So you're not having things slashing and it's not just animations all over the place. You do everything with a purpose. I love that. And honestly, buyers today love having that self-service kind of journey that we've been kind of discussing. And in general, content, and clearly just from this really short conversation that we've had so far, content has clearly come a long way since those days of strictly heavy text those PDF white papers. Obviously, we want the buyer to engage or the audience even to engage with our content. And sometimes you may send a static PDF over and maybe they did download it, right? But who knows? It could be still sitting in on their desktop or still sitting in their downloads folder. So it's really kind of hard to track and find that engagement, right? So like I said, it's come a very long way. So I'd love it if you could kind of dive a little bit more into 
why interactive content really, really matters now in this day and age, especially after this crazy pandemic world that we've been living in for the past couple of years. I can jump in for a moment. One thing we do know is digital content has an ever bigger role to play and job to do in educating your audiences, as well as being the face of your brand and feel for your company and growing relationships with your clients. So I know a lot of this was accelerated in the past years due to the world that we lived in, but we do see a heavier burden on the content you're creating and the work it has to do. And the fact that it does have to matter, you know, you really want to create content that isn't a flop and isn't just a library full of content out there that may or may not resonate with your audiences. So you really need to make sure that this content matters, like I said, and keep in mind that a lot of, not a lot of, all of our B2B audiences are people first, right? So B2C behaviors obviously play a role in the B2B workplace. So while the world has changed, we've also noticed that people engage with content differently, right? They want really short, they want visual, they want audio. We're understanding more and more about how people learn and work with content. So that has really leveled up the use of interactive experiences and content. Awesome. I mean, I could definitely imagine there being a huge boom towards interactive content and all of these interactive experiences. Did you guys at at C4D kind of realize during the pandemic that more of your clients wanted to dabble in interactive content and really take their marketing to the next level with it? Well, I really think that pretty much everything changed during the pandemic, right? So, I mean, even though interactive content existed before, it had a bigger job to do, like Lisa said. And since we weren't getting as much face-to-face or actually really any interaction during uh, quarantine, I think that the interactive content became a way to create some more personalized and engaging experiences from behind a computer screen. And one of the best examples of that is the fact that so many in-person events had to go digital. And I think those that were most successful were people that had experience with digital and interactive content from the get-go. So now my question is, I'm just, you know, obviously listening to you guys talk about all this. What does the back end of interactive content look like? Because I'm just thinking about how many factors and moving parts go in here and and I'm overwhelmed. So just thinking about it. So the fact that you guys do this frequently is awesome. But do you need a large team and budget to create interactive content? Is that necessary? So I'm going to give you an answer with a smile. So bear with me. No, you just really need a great agency partner. That's my little C4D pitch. Just kidding. We at Content for Demand work a great deal with a company, an amazing company called Seros, which is a low-code solution for providing um, what we consider very elegant interactive experiences. It's not, I'm going to let Savannah talk to this in a moment because again, she physically creates these, but it's not a heavy lift in our opinion. You know, it's a matter of you're creating content and From the initial stages of content creation, you know that you are interviewing your SMEs, you're writing your copy, you're developing everything with an interactive experience in mind versus a flat or static experience. So it's just a matter of the setup. And it adds a little bit of time, a little bit more investment, but in, in no in no way is it a super heavy lift. So Savannah, I don't know if you want to elaborate. Yeah, I could talk about Saros all day. Not just Saros in general, but basically the 
the no-code interactive design platform. You know, as a designer, I have a little bit of coding knowledge, but not much. And some of the designers on my team don't have any at all. So this application, Saros and others like it, give us the opportunity to create this interactive content in a really user-friendly design studio with no coding knowledge. And that's one of our biggest ways to get interactive content out there. We also use another platform for quizzes and calculators, but there are options out there for people that aren't coders or technical design and make this content without having that prior knowledge. Yeah, we do still use full HTML coding for certain clients have a need for that on occasion. So it it is possible. It just, it does take a little longer. It's a little more complicated, but those are still certainly options as well. Yeah. It's a case by case basis for every client. All right. Awesome. So now kind of with that in mind, being that it is on a case by case basis, what are some of the user benefits of interactive content? I think I kind of went through these a bit earlier, but I can touch back on it because it is important. I'd say the most obvious that everybody could probably tell from looking at the interactive piece tells your story in a visual and engaging way. And you can tailor these experiences differently depending on your audience or what their goal is. And the user is able to go through and kind of choose their own journey and decide like what info they're interested in. Um, We do some day in the life pieces, and I know one that we did had a journey for three separate roles within a company. So if one person came in and their role was there, they could go straight through and kind of see what that day's like and not have to sift through the other stuff that might not be relevant to them. And like I said, and also like Holly said, we don't use animations and different interactive elements just for the sake of it, but it is a really great way to, you know, break up tons of text um, like you would often see in a PDF white paper or something like that. And the analytics that you get is probably the, the biggest benefit because you can go through and see what your users were resonating with, what they liked, what they didn't like, and then you can use those insights moving forward. Yeah, and as Savannah was just talking about having in particular that one asset where it delivers three different journeys based on your on your role, that means that not only can you get straight to the information that's relevant to you with any solution that you're exploring, if it's something that you want to advocate for in your own company, that's a great way that you have something that you can share with the rest of your buying committee and say, hey, I'm really interested in this. Look at what it can do. And they're able to get, you know, if the CIO cares more about certain things than the HR director, and you can kind of include the things that will resonate with them within one piece of content. I love that. That's actually one of my favorite things about interactive content is all of that engagement data that you could get from it. And I imagine that it's actually that one aspect alone is a way to really justify interactive content to the C-suite, right? I feel like they're, they tend to be a little used to those static PDFs, right? Those heavy text copy white papers. So having all those insights that you could get from your audience and essentially it's like first party data, right? So that must be an awesome way to justify it. Can we kind of dive into the different types of data and insights we could get from it? Like, I know we talked about interactive content could be a quiz or or just like an interactive white paper where you could embed different things and you could actually track people, like how long they're staying on a page and things like that, right? Yeah, you get all kinds of data and it's going to depend on how you set up 
a particular piece of content. For example, we're talking about quizzes and assessments. They're answering some detailed questions there. And if you if you do a quiz, you want to make it really quick and simple for them to use. But an assessment, they're deeper in the funnel generally. They're more willing to kind of dive deep on a topic and you can gate that. So in most cases, we would recommend that you do. And then you've got detailed information on what your buyers at that stage are interested in and how you can serve them. You can get demographic data. You can get information on specifically where on the page they're clicking, what animations are capturing their attention, how much time they spent on a page, how deep they went into. It's kind of, it's almost limitless what you can get there. And then it's valuable even for your content going forward, right? You kind of learn what buyers are clicking on and what they're not, and you can do more of what they engaged with. You can test and see, Savannah and I recently did an intent ebook that had embedded video. We've done assets with embedded audio and all those things so that the user can actually just go toward the kind of content, even within one asset that they like. They could read the copy or they could go click on a video and you're going to be accumulating that data on what your audience is responding to and maybe learn, oh, we should do more video. People really like that. I mean, Savannah, I'm sure you're more involved in some of the pieces of the interactive. You've you've probably got some input on data. Yeah, something you actually mentioned there that I wanted to talk about was the fact that interactive content gives you the capability to add in a navigation. So like on any website, there's a menu. Say you want to do a really long interactive piece. It doesn't have to be overwhelming to the user because maybe there's a menu there and bonus points if it's like a sticky menu that follows the users that go so that they can jump around to wherever they want. And even if it's 20 pages of content, that doesn't mean they're going to see it all at once. So it's just a really great way to have a lot of info in front of you, but not overwhelm you. And just having all the analytic data that comes with, okay, they clicked this interaction to go to this page. They were on this page for five seconds longer than the other one. It's just fueling your future marketing plan and giving you ideas and insights moving forward. Okay, we sort of mentioned things about really long pieces of content and the interactive content that we produce. It's, occasionally it can be really long, but more often, It looks shorter than it is because you don't have that giant copy block on a page. You create these little rabbit holes where people are, like Lisa said, choosing their own journey. So you can have just a headline and a couple, a sentence or two of copy, and they click on that section and they go down a whole rabbit hole. So they're only seeing more and more copy if they choose to, but you're not scaring them away with that on the page. So in some ways, like there's a lot of depth rather than length to some of these pieces. So you're able to get a lot more copy into a shorter, cleaner experience that's much more user-friendly. Yeah. And I feel like it totally even, it just makes it easier to understand and comprehend the information that's in there. Instead of having so many words being thrown at somebody on a single page, those little snippets are easily more memorable than a single block of copy. So I really, really love that. And that's why I love interactive content. DGR dabbles in it a little bit as well uh, whenever we have the, the bandwidth. But Holly, you mentioned a pretty big word, not a big word, but it's always kind of an argument, right? That it's that G word, that gate, right? Everybody keeps like, (laughs) everybody keeps arguing whether 
all content should be ungated, right? Or we have to gate the content because otherwise we won't get any information. How do your clients feel about all of this? Do you guys kind of find a, a good balance or is it heavy gating or is it heavy ungating? How does that work with your customers? They're at different stages with that. It's like you said, it's controversial. So everyone has their own opinions for content for demand. Since I run our marketing, I've scaled way back. We only really gate our biggest assets. And even then, it's always important just to ask for the information you really need and that you're going to use. Often that's name and work email address if I'm going to gate something. And just like anything else, I test it. Say we had a great big asset that was getting a lot of traction when we first released it and then tapered off a little bit. And I thought, you know, I'm not getting any data from it anyway. Let's take the gate off. And if more people see it and I don't know who they are, that's okay. Right. We've got other calls to action that that are still moving things through. I feel like Lisa might have a better feel for what our clients are doing than I would. Lisa, do you have any more information that I'm babbling about? Sure. I think it really just depends what stage we're using the asset and also what the purpose what the purpose is, right? Is it set up as part of a lead gen campaign or is it just to get more more thought leadership or pull people in? Is it being used socially? Is it being used within a nurture, etc.? So it really varies on client need and need for that exact piece of content. I will say if it is a big pillar asset, they're often gated. And we have found inter- interactive experiences that we don't gate at the onset, but they may be gated within, right? So you may have some content in there that you're going to gate, but you're not gating the entire experience. Absolutely. And now, so obviously this world of interactivity is your guys' bread and butter. You do this every day, but for the everyday content marketer listening to this podcast, getting psyched up to start their own interactive content, how can they get started? What do they need to plan for? What are some hurdles they could expect to encounter? You know, give me all that fun technical stuff. I love that phrase, fun technical stuff, but I am kind of a tech nerd, so I'll <laughs> chime in, although Savannah will probably have some more more info on this, but I would recommend that you always touch base with your internal tech team, even if you're having an outside agency create the work for you, just to make sure that you know what your limitations might be. Um, in some cases, you're going to have a lot more security on your website that needs to be taken into account before you create something? Yeah, so like an example for that, Saros has a publishing option that once you finish your interactive assets done, it's ready to go. We can pass off an embed code to the client and they can place it within the page of their website. It lives within an iframe. Some clients can accept that, some can't because of security or capabilities. So my biggest suggestion is that from the get-go, when you're still planning what you want to do, you talk to your tech and web team, you see like, what are the requirements? What are we capable of doing? And know that when you're starting, because otherwise you're going to be backtracking. And it's really important to get everyone on the same page at the very start of planning. I also might add in, begin with the end, right? What do you want to get out of this? What do you want to know? Especially if it's a quiz assessment or anything else. And that will also steer on how you're going to host it, use it, gate it, et cetera. So just wanted to throw that in there. Just always begin with the end. 
I love that. Really, really great insights. Yeah, for sure. I want to go a little bit deeper because obviously Kelly and I are day jobs. We write. We write these pieces to be interactive, right? And I could definitely use a tip or two on how to write for interactive content to really ensure a clean and easy to navigate design, right? So again, I doubt that you guys are getting 17 pages of a Word doc of just copy, and then it's up to you to decide what goes interactive, what goes in a carousel and all that stuff. So what are some tips for putting together a piece of interactive content from just on paper in terms of writing and laying it out even? Yeah, I can speak to that as an old school writer who started on a typewriter. It is a different experience. You can start out, if you're not used to it, you can start out with one big page of copy and then figure out how you want to map that out as you get more comfortable. If you saw our drafts, there's color codes and there's alerts and words (laughs) in parentheses everywhere. Think about the experience. Like Lisa said, start with the end. So you want to think about strategically what are the most important pieces of the copy that you want people to see? What can you maybe hide through a rabbit hole that they click for more information in this sidebar here, what could be better said in a short video or an audio clip, all kinds of those things. And I would start too by collaborating really closely with the design team who's gonna plan out the experience because they can help you with what are what are some of our capabilities. Maybe you don't know that carousels might work for a specific section of copy. You can collaborate, ask for some advice from the designer, but block it out in all of those things and use wireframes whenever possible. And there there are apps you can use for that. It's very much engineering feat, but just takes a little bit of getting used to and, and you're you're just breaking up that copy to make sure that you're telling a story. I know Savannah probably can talk to what she prefers to get from writer. Yeah, I'm glad that you mentioned that. If you have a designer, which I'm hoping you do if you're going interactive, or you could come to Content for Demand, (laughs) please go to them first. Ask them, what do you want from this? And I think some tips that I give include stats and data whenever possible. Those are great for interactive pieces and and for really any content because, you know, that's, that's what users like to see. If you have a bunch of paragraphs, try to break it up into bullet points or lists if you can. And as Holly mentioned, think of what can be emphasized and use those callouts or sidebars and write with a structure that could be navigated easily. Like I mentioned before, something that you could break up like, okay, this section, this section, and then you could add it into a menu and the user can go through section by section and just collaborate early with everybody who's going to be involved, the designers, the tech team, the whole crew, collaborate early on. Yeah, and think visually. A lot of writers think about words. Train yourself to think more visually and how things are going to look. If I can throw in three adjectives, concise, segmented, and thematic. So especially when you're creating interactive content, we really want to be envisioning that this is concise, this is bullets, this is short, this is sweet. We're getting through. We're doing more visual storytelling than just storytelling with words. We're also doing storytelling with interactivity and potentially with with video, with animation, etc. So there's a lot more playing a role here than the written word or words in general, copy, but also just themes, right? So a lot of times you're breaking out by either a pain point or an audience or a theme or a vertical within a piece. So you really want to segment your copy and your message 
by that. And again, the same thing applies with segmenting. So just wanted to throw that out there. I'm so glad you did. That was very, (laughs) very helpful. Yeah, that was definitely awesome. I I love all those tips. We literally just got back from Arizona, right, from B2BMX uh, just a few weeks ago. And a big topic was the fact that at this point, there's so much content out there, right? And sometimes it's even more beneficial to take the content you already have and repurpose it in other ways. And that's why I I really love content repurposing because not only does it save us time, you know, we don't want to continue to create the same stuff over and over again in new different formats. And I love that content repurposing is, is so popular in B2B. So let's talk about how we can turn interactive content into other pieces, right? Or vice versa. So can it even be done? from interactive content? Or is it better to start from a static piece and then turn that into interactive content? So I think the short answer is you can do both. So of course, content can derive from other pieces of content, right? But content can also roll up into a hero asset or a pillar asset, right? You can take your content and create it in a modular way. So again, it rolls up or derives from and can be used and expanded upon to further convey your messaging and make you more digitally discoverable. But we do a ton of work when it comes to recreating, reimagining, repurposing content. I just want to take a step back and it often starts with some of the building blocks, right? Like audits or library assessments and understanding what it is you have to help you with your storytelling and then understanding the role that certain existing content can play either in its entirety as a whole or being used as a part or updated or refreshed. But we so often work with clients and understanding what they have in their libraries and using several pieces of content to create that one beautiful hero asset. And again, going the other way as well. Savannah, I don't know if you want to layer on that at all, because I know you do this day in and day out. I was just going to say that there's no difference between an interactive or a static Big Rock asset. They both will have different parts of them that can be pulled out. So we often do like many long scroll pieces that are interactive that we can pull out like some quick points into a small checklist. Another thing that clients really like, if we create like a an interesting animated graph in an interactive piece, we can turn that into a GIF to be used on social media. So there's definitely a lot of ways that we can repurpose interactive content as well. Yeah, Lisa's talking about like pulling static assets into a larger hero asset. I think she and Savannah both worked on an asset that did that really beautifully. And if you attended B2BMX, and saw Jay Bear's session, he actually featured an asset that they worked on for BMC software that pulled existing case studies that they have. And those are some of the hardest assets to to be able to pull off as case studies, right? They take a lot of work and they had these static case studies and we pulled those together into a portfolio asset that then became widely shared and was their their most successful case study asset that they had done. It was a beautiful beautiful piece. And the other thing we're seeing in interactive content more than static is user-generated content or customer content as well, right? So some of that feedback on how well a solution worked for them is really, really easy to layer in to a interactive piece of content, right? So I'm visualizing a carousel with some of the commentary and stuff. And Savannah, I think you probably know some of the pieces I'm referring to 
Again, one of our favorite clients, BMC, does this a lot, but it's super powerful in delivering that kind of universal, all-encompassing piece of content that does some very heavy lift storytelling. Yeah, if you can't tell, we're huge fans of repurposing. <laughs> I love that. And I mean, who isn't, right? And those are really great examples. Jay Bear specifically uh, shared some awesome ones. Hopefully, I mean, we could talk about this offline, but hopefully you guys could share some examples that we could uh, throw in our show notes to have our audience really check out and experience a piece of interactive content themselves. If not, we'll throw in some DGR content, although I'm sure it's not as awesome as the C4D stuff that you guys worked with with clients. But if you can send us over some examples so we could throw those in our show notes and really give the audience a, a chance to experience a piece of really good interactive content themselves and hopefully inspire them a little bit. Absolutely. We'll make sure that BMC piece is in there too. Awesome. Perfect. Perfect. All right. Coming down to the wire here. I think we covered all of our pressing questions, but before we go, any final thoughts, anything to add, any elevator pitches for C4D or anything like that, the floor is yours to chat before we all sign off for the day. I just want to say today has been such a pleasure, Claudia, Kelly, absolutely love the work that DGR does. And as you know, we, um, we love B2BMX as well and attend every year. And we also truly benefit from and enjoy the work we do with our clients. It's amazing to see the end result from the hard work that is put in day in and day out, year after year. So if you want to see some of our work, just come to our website, www.contentfordemand.com or look up Lisa, Savannah, or Holly and reach out and we would be more than happy to chat with you. Awesome. I love it. Yeah, it's always great to see all the amazing work that C4D does on a daily basis. You guys are really keeping yourselves busy over there. So kudos to you all. And yeah, I mean, that is a wrap on today's episode. With all that said, thank you everyone for listening. Thank you so much, Holly, Savannah, and Lisa for taking the time to join me and Kelly today. It was really great to have you all. Thank you for having us. Yes, thanks so much. Same. Awesome. All right. Well, that is a wrap. Like I said, be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss any new episodes. We're available on any podcast player of your choice, of course. And then, yeah, check us out on Twitter and LinkedIn. Uh, check Content for Demand out on Twitter and LinkedIn. Share your thoughts and feedback. Or just, you know, let us know who else you want to hear from on the podcast and what else you want to learn. Thank you again, everyone, for joining us on the podcast today. We will catch you all next week. Take care.